Well, I'm going to introduce our guest speaker this morning. So some of, many of you maybe know him, but I think there's probably somebody who doesn't know him. Michael was, he grew up in this area. He was, he grew up on a Hutterite colony. And so he, that really colors his background and his, he has an amazing faculty for languages. He can, I mean, he was born biling, you know, raised bilingually. And now, I mean, he can pick up languages. It's amazing how fast he can pick up life, all kinds of languages. But, Anyway, he went out, he went to school at Northern, and um, before we were at Sovereign Grace, he and I were involved in church together, and he did college ministry, and he would bring international students. He'd bring 25 Korean students to church with him. I mean, this guy had a heart for the, for the international students, and what, a, what an example he was. He made the rest of us feel like, what are we doing? Nothing, you know? So anyway, he went away out to California to Master's Seminary, to, uh, that's John MacArthur Seminary. He got a, a Master of Divinity, and then he wasn't done, so he didn't see any other Masters, so he got a Master's in Theology. And now they hired him. Go figure. A little guy from the Hutterite Colony in South Dakota, he's now the Director of Admissions for Master's Seminary. So you young guys out there, be looking out. He's probably going to try to recruit you. <laughs> but anyway, we are so proud of you, Michael, for what you've done and how God has used you. And don't forget, we're, maybe we're just little folk up here in South Dakota, but God can do big things with us. God bless you, Michael. We love you. Thank you, Dave. Good morning, everyone. Very good to see you this fine, cold South Dakota morning. It's very cold for me, although I do have to say that Back home, it is really cold, too. It's 37 degrees this morning, and, and uh, I'm sure people are sitting at their fire thinking, what in the world, what kind of winter has been sent to them? But we're toughing it out here, right? And this has been warm for us, right? Um, anyway, that's, uh, it's so good to be here. It's so good to be here in Aberdeen, South Dakota, on this Sunday morning to spend time with you right after Christmas as we finish out our, as we finish out our year together. So thank you for being here. Um, like, and even as, as Dave said, I will, I'll give out my phone number after the service. Don't tell Sam I said this, um, so that you can all send all your young people to, uh, to Masters, not Southern. So send them to Master Seminary. Uh, it's West Coast, not on the East Side. I just want to say that right away so it's very clear for everybody. Those are my cards. They're on the table. Uh, and I'll give out my phone number afterwards. All right. Now that we've said that, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 15. Psalm 15, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's kind of right there, right after all the history books and, and uh, the history of Israel. And then you go into the wisdom literature, Psalm 15, one of the, the, the beautiful parts of, of the Bible where, where, where words of truth are put to poetry. And uh, we'll spend our time there this morning. And, and mark, mark, mark that place in your Bible. And let me go ahead and... Let me go ahead and pray to start out uh, our time in studying God's Word. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that we can come to You with anything and everything. And we, we thank You that we can come to You this morning to, uh, to ask You to teach us and instruct us according to Your Word. The Word that You have given, the Word that You have recorded through faithful men, and the Word that You have preserved so that we today can read it and listen to what it teaches us. So Father, I pray that as we do listen, I pray that You would scrutinize our hearts, that You would uh, show the dirt that is there so that You can excavate it and that You can remove it and so that we can be better people uh, suited, better suited to worship You. And so Father, we pray that You would transform us, quicken us, and by Your Spirit, enable us to listen even now. Uh, we love you, and we pray this in your Son's precious name. Amen. Just as we approach God this morning, just right now, and already a few, few different times this morning, there's so many people in our world today that do something very similarly as what we just did. They pray to their God, and they, they go through the ritual, or their gods, and they try to reach out to Him so that He would accept them and that He would beckon them to come in so that they would have some sort of access to Him, some sort of meaning in their life. And that's what characterizes many people in our world today. Uh, we think of Hindus 
people in India, they are, they are drawn to, to seeking their Atman, whatever that is. They're seeking this to be fully united in their Brahman, this pure thing that they seek, this pure actuality that they look for. Like there's, it's separate from reality, but it's part of it. And so they, they, they don't know for sure what this world is or the world to come is. Similar with Buddhism. They try to escape the reality that is in our world today. They, they want to seek their, their buzzword is nirvana. They want to seek their nirvana so that they, they can be free from their greed, their, ha- uh, their hatred, their, their, um, ignorance of the things of this world. But anything that would hurt our world, they want to escape that and find this better place. And they do that by seeking it. Uh, very popular in our world today is, is, is the world of Islam. They have a very similar approach actually to Christianity. They have, they have a lot of different rituals that match our Christian world, even our Christian world view they even match. Some would even say that they, they took that and applied it uh, to their own, but obviously they changed it a lot. But they want to they they, they have a strong monotheism meaning like a strong worship of one God. They do have that. They match that with Christianity. They, they have a judgment for sin and of heaven and hell. They have an understanding for that. And they, they want to try to access God. They have different things that they do, the five pillars of Islam that they do to access God. But it's wishful thinking at best for all of them. Christianity has very similar requirements. They have rituals that are set in, in Scripture that we are told to have to do in order to, uh, to actually count ourselves as Christians. They have rituals in place, but what sets them apart, these Christians, meaning us, what sets us apart is that our perfection is totally different than what the others have in mind. Our standard of perfection is totally different. And actually, I would even argue, and we'll see this morning as we look at this psalm, that our standard is even higher than theirs. Way higher than theirs. Way higher than what they can even imagine. Because just as the New Testament teaches that we are to be perfect, that's the standard, we are to be perfect just as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So does it say in our passage this morning. But it fleshes it out for us quite beautifully. So what this psalm here teaches, what this psalm is here teaches is what every single human should be asking. It first asks a question, and then it gives an answer. And it's the right answer. It's not just the Sunday school answer. It's not just the Christian answer. It is the right answer, because it's according to Scripture. And what's interesting as part of this psalm is that he asks a question that every human should ask, and then he gives Ten characteristics of what that answer to that question is. So it's very simple, very straightforward, so that we can actually and indeed have access to the presence of God. We can actually be quorum Deo, in the presence of God, living before the presence of God. That is what this psalm is all about. Let me go ahead and read it for us as we get started. Psalm 15 Psalm 15 with the heading, a psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put up his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does things, these things, shall never be moved. Shall never be moved. Psalm 15 is caught in, obviously, what we know as the Psalms. And that is what the true, that is all about the truth that God has communicated and put to song for God's faithful people in the Old Testament. So they basically took, it's, this psalm is about, about the main event of what the Old Testament people look to. Meaning going to Jerusalem, going to be, to seek God and be in His presence. The tabernacle, the temple. It's all about moving towards that. 
And the 10 characteristics that are given are an expression of what holiness ought to look like for the Old Testament saint. It's an expression of what they look like according uh, what their character is to be like. Notice what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that this is what a person is to do in order to be right, but what a person is to look like. It's not, you're not working towards holiness here. You are, you are seen as holy and seen as sanctified. There's a huge world of a difference. And the, and the standard, like I said before, that is given here is, is sinless perfection. Every single human is given, as they read this psalm, has that, expect, has that expectation that they need to live up to because of their Creator. And every single human ought to be drawn to, drawn to ask this question so that they can also have access to God. For Israel, it meant certain things. For us today, it's very similar, but we have to be really careful in how we apply this because first and foremost, we have to understand that the Psalms were given for the Old Testament saint. And so some of the things won't apply. Like, for example, we won't have to sojourn to a temple. We know that if you're a Christian, you are what? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit already. And so you're already communing with God as you walk with God each and every day. Whereas for the Old Testament saint, they would have had to make a journey every single year. So obviously not everything applies the same way. But the principles that we can pull from that are super rich and very helpful for us this morning as we live our, as we live our life. And so what we see here is, is he asks a question, then he gives an answer, and then he follows that up at the end with a promise, uh, with the last verse in Psalm 15. And then let's, let's look at Psalm 15, verse 1. Asking the question, who can have access to God? Oh God, oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? And who shall dwell on your holy hill? This is a question that is not really expecting an answer because the answer should already be in your mind. It's called a rhetorical question, meaning a question is given, but it should be a given. It should be a knee-jerk on who this person is. That's the question that he, he asks here. Who shall dwell? Who shall sojourn to your tent? And who shall dwell on your holy hill? Those, those two questions are very similar to one another. But what you'll see here happening when you look at the verse, verse 1, you'll see, look at the verbs there. Sojourn and dwell. Those uh, Sojourns means to be on a journey to get to a place. And dwell, actually, you've arrived. So even though that there's very similar in how, you, how we understand these terms, there's, there's progression that is involved there. The first question is, who's the guy who travels? The, the second guy is, the second question is, Who's the guy that lives there, that has actually reached their destination and is, and is rooted there, has planted there? Like, you could say that, um, well, I was just sharing with my nephew, Carlos, um, that I've been in California for seven years now. And, uh, and that's the longest place that I've been at since I left the commune. So you could say every other place that I've been at has been a sojourn to California, to the sun, sunshine place of California. And so that I've, because I've dwelt there, I've stayed there, I've actually uh, rooted to some degree with my church there and all those different things, but I've stayed there. That's the imagery that is here. The person who, who moves towards the hill and who dwells there. That's why it's talking about access to God. And also notice, notice there too that the destination of each of these places, the tent and then the hill, there's also a progression there of movement towards where they're going to, of having access to God. This tent was the tabernacle in the Old Testament. We see how they set it up and how they, it moved from place to place. It traveled with them. But the hill is talking about the Temple Mount, where the temple is there, or it's supposed to be there, or it will be there in the future. That is one particular geolocation. It stays there, and it's rooted there. And the, the heart of the Old Testament saint was drawn. It was drawn towards that place. And not just because it was a special place, even though it became about that, but for the true Old Testament saint, the remnant, 
it was not just the place and the temple, even though it signified special things for them and special access to God like all the other nations versus all the other nations. What it was for them is that longed-for presence. This longed-for presence of actually being in God's favor and in God's place to actually worship Him truthfully in spirit and truth. Well, that's New Testament reality that Jesus talks about in, in John chapter 4. But it's that longing for to be in the place of actually worshiping Yahweh, worshiping their God. And it took a kind of person to do this. Now, for the Old Testament saint, it's very, here's where it becomes fairly similar for us today because they had to be justified by faith as well. Because what does Romans chapter 4 teach about Abraham? He was justified by faith because he believed God and that was credit to him as righteousness. And has that changed from the New Testament for the New Testament believer? Not at all. It's the exact same methodology, so to speak, of how a person gets saved is by faith. And then you're declared as justified. What's interesting about the Old Testament, though, is, is that what the Old Testament was given to the, to the person, to the worshiper, so that they could maintain their relationship with Yahweh. Meaning, they had to do all these different rituals to maintain their sense of holiness. They were declared righteous like Abraham was, but they were given the law, they were given all the writings so that they could maintain their righteousness and so it would be super clear for them in how they ought to live. For the New Testament saint, it was written on our hearts. It is written on our hearts by the Spirit, right? And so here, so here these characteristics, where it comes to a head for us this morning is that those characters, like maintain, whether you're maintaining your relationship as the Old Testament saint or, or living out this relationship, the, the effect is the same. You're still showing off the, the, the effect of God in your life. So that's where those two worlds collide. And actually, it brings out very similar, uh, very similar um, consequences, very similar effects. And so that's why we can read this psalm and actually be encouraged to live according to it as a New Testament saint, even though it wasn't written for us. Even though it was written for us. So these questions, these questions are just as important for us today as they were 4,000 years ago or so when they were written, when David was writing them. Just as important because, you know what, we're still asking the same kinds of questions. They haven't asked. And... God's answer is still the same. And His standard is still high. The standard is so limiting. It cuts away so much and makes it quite clear for us today. Let's go ahead and look at the first characteristic in, in verse 2. He who walks blamelessly. Right there, we should stop and think in our normal English, a blameless person who can, who can be found? Who can be truly blameless? Who can be perfect? Now here the emphasis is your way of life, how you live, how you actually live out your day to day, how you go to work, how you go to school, how you interact with your neighbor, what you are all about. How do you do and go about your business? It's, it's the walk of life that you are on. It's not talking about every particular photograph of your life. It's talking about the video, the length of your life. Is your life live to perfection? Is your life blameless? This is what David is talking about, the re what the requirement is here. And if, what's interesting is right before that, in Psalm chapter 14, and we cannot... We cannot um, separated from the, the surrounding. Even though it's, uh, Psalm 15 is one unit, we cannot separate it from what comes before and what comes after because the way that God organized this through the people that He wrote down the Psalms and recorded them is that they were, they were arranged. And I believe not by accident. And Psalm chapter 14 shows what our response should be to this question. Uh, I have to go back. Psalm 14 verse 2 
and the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men, the same people who are asking questions on having access to God, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there is any who understand who seek after God. And what is His answer? They have all turned aside. And the Bible that I'm borrowing this morning, this guy circled it because he knows what's going on. He's all have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. And the notes here says, we do not seek God apart from His divine grace. That is so good. Thank you. They have all turned aside. Together they have become uh, corrupt. There is none who does good, it says here. Not even one. So the answer even to the first characteristic of the requirement for us to live blameless lives, what is the answer? Not I. I cannot measure up. I cannot... I cannot even reach that standard because I can point to at an hour, the past hour of where I fail to actually be completely blameless. If I start looking at my motives, which is the intention here, the motives of what I do. Psalm, Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3, 23. You, you probably know it by heart. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning we've missed the mark. We continuously miss the mark. This is who we are. We are not blameless. But what we have to understand this morning is that the requirement is there. This is not an accident that this was the first requirement for us. The first characteristic of an individual who has access to God. It is no accident. The expectation is here and it is real. We will have to give an account for our blamelessness. It's heavy this morning. It's heavy. The danger for us is to actually think that we are blameless. Because we might actually be able to point to the list that we've, we've set up in our lives. Uh, maybe it's because of how I grew up, because we were very, very ritualistic as a Hutterite. But like we're so good at making sure I do this, and then I do that. I get up in the morning, I read my Bible, I pray for 15 minutes, maybe 14, but it's okay. 15 minutes, and then I go to work, and I, and I pray before my meal, and I, and I smile to Christians, and I put a, a, a fish symbol on my car, and I have a nice little bumper sticker that says something Christian. I wear a Christian t-shirt shirt and I, I do all these Christian things. I go to church on Sunday. I go to, I go to Bible study on Tuesday night and I, I wake up really early one day of the week and I do all these different things. And for us sometimes that's equal to a person who has access to God because I'm doing all these things. The problem is that's only part of your life. Those are all good things, but that's only part of your life. Those are really good endeavors, but that's only part of your life. The concern here is all of your life. Are you blameless? Are you blameless? Let's move to the next one. Verse 15. I'm sorry. Psalm 15, verse 2 still. Who does what is right. Very similar to the first. Meaning, like he walks blamelessly. But, uh, but here the emphasis is what the guy is doing. What the guy is working. What the sister is doing. Well, how she's working. Meaning, like, what she's occupied about. Like, where she's, what she's, what she's done. And what she's going to do. Does she do what is right? Versus what is wrong? Is she, is she, is she seeking after uh, what is the right thing to do according to the Scriptures and not seeking after folly, not seeking after filth. And she's, she's caught at walking in the light. And what is the light? The light is what is revealed in Scripture. Like the, the, map, the, the map that is laid out for us. Doing what is right. Not just obey, obey this and don't do that. But like she seeks after when, when even when scripture doesn't think, doesn't actually speak directly towards it, she's able to take what she knows from scripture, principalize it and apply it to her life and do it with convictions so that she can say, I've done the right thing. How many times do we cu catch ourselves? At least I do. do we, how many times do I catch myself? I'll ask you. Uh, I think back and I thought I did the right thing, but then I realize, Honestly, that wasn't the right thing because I was actually selfishly motivated by this. And I can actually point out, and then my response ought to be repentance. 
But the point here, the point here is that the requirement is there. It's, it's this knee jerk where this person just does what is right. Like there's no desire to do what is wrong. It's very similar to, now even, very similar to what Jesus did. Meaning, he always went about his father's business. He always did that. There was, he was, he was tempted, but he even had his temptation. He was ready to do the right thing. He was ready to submit to the Spirit and obey the Father. He had no desire to not sin. As soon as we start entertaining sin, we're actually drawn to it. Not for this person. Not for this requirement. In everything that you do, do you do what is right? Do you do what is right? Let's move on. And he speaks truth in his heart. So not just externally, meaning the first, the first two, like he walks blamelessly. That's the, the whole realm of his life. And he, he does what is right. His workings are right. Everything that he does with his hands and with his feet and what he, where he drives and all those different things, they all, they're all headed towards the right. It's not just that. He also speaks his lips. His lips speak forth what is right internally. Notice how it moves from the external there to the internal. There it's, his concern there is for the whole individual. Not just so that you are good on the outside, but that you are speaking truth. You're speaking what is right on the inside as well. How many of us are caught with the, the, we're, we're, we're teaching ourselves to think and we, we, we hit we say this and then we're like, well, that's, it's usually it's with other people. Like we, well, he probably meant this. And, and because he probably meant to do that, that means that he is, he meant to do this with me. Like he, he actually meant to hurt me. And, and the, 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 the digging just keeps on going down. Or you might even do that, not just with, with your fellow men, your fellow, uh, fellow human being, or with your brothers and sisters, but you might also do that with the Lord too. Like you actually might start doubting God with what he says, because you, you're putting yourself above God because you don't want to listen to him in the circumstances of your life. This person is, is sincere from the inside out. He speaks truth in his heart, and this heart comes forth and, and speaks truth on his lips as well. Because what is uh, Luke 4, or is it Matthew 4? What does is, what is the New Testament, I'll say? What does the New Testament teach about where... Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? It's what comes out of your lips was already in there. It's not an accident. Here, this individual, whatever he, he thinks on the inside is based upon truth. It's sincerity. Sincere according to Scripture. He is trustworthy. He doesn't just live his life blamelessly. He doesn't just do what is right. He also thinks it, and that influences the rest of his life. How many of you are caught with never or always speaking truth in your heart? The standard is really high. The standard is really high. Now we, we have a world today that they have their own definition of truth and their own definition of good and even evil their own definition of morality. But the concern here is not what the world thinks. The concern here is the Scriptures. That is the standard of morality that he is concerned about. Not what everybody else thinks, but particularly what Scripture teaches. Not the culture, but the Scriptures. Next, so this is the personal like focusing on the personal characteristics of an, in, of an individual. Now he, he goes into what what your relationships look like. The, the next characteristics are all about how you interrelate with your fellow, with your fellow neighbor. Verse three, verse three, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. Slander is such a harsh term. It, it has a person in mind who's like a thief. He looks out for them and he's trying to snatch the uh, the other person's goodness away from them and talks uh, about it. It's very, it's very harsh. This is, these are the sins of the tongue that come out here. There's no, there's no evil on their tongue. This slander, there's no reproach. There's nothing that is, that is, that is uh, hurtful that comes out of your tongue. Here it's a, 
like if you if you take verse three, the first uh, who does not slander and his tongue does no does no evil to his neighbor, and like you take those as two sides of the same coin, meaning like you're speaking truth about his neighbor, and then uh, the 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 hurt is the pain that is inflicted by those words. How many times have you felt the goodness of having the right thing to say to set that person in his place? And you might have thought at that moment that you had every right to do so. But it was set in anger. It was set in malice. It was said to hurt the other individual. This person here, over and over again, verse 3 is characterized by what the person does not do. This is not to mark us. Even the desire to want to do that cuts us away for actually measuring up to the standard. Who does not slander with his tongue. He does not stealthily spy on other individuals so that they can know what to say about them behind their back. He's not concerned about that. He's to your face. And what you get behind him is what you get in front of him. That's a weird way to say it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, he's not, he's not about gossip. He, he's not known as the, the, the town's tabloid. He knows all the goods. She knows all the goods about everybody else, but is not looking at her own lack of virtue. Do you speak of other people's sin behind their back? It's, it's quite gutsy to be able to go to a person to actually tell them their sin to their face. That's hard. It's a lot easier to talk behind their back because there's no repercussion because what you might find is other people who will agree with you and they'll actually be drawn to that. Their ear will actually... I, I remember I was, um, I was talking to a few brothers in, on our campus uh, in, at the church uh, back home and, and we were starting to talk and then one guy said something about somebody else. And immediately, I, I, I literally felt my ear tingle. It's like it wanted to be tickled with what was coming next because I knew it was going to be a juicy truth, meaning something that I shouldn't really know about the other person, but, but it, was, it was going to be juicy for me to think about because it, I think it was a, uh, a popular person. And so I'm like, hey, I want to I know this. I was drawn to it. And then I realized what I was doing. I was actually being drawn in what I'm not supposed to be about. I was drawn into to, 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 to slander about this other individual because I didn't have the, the, I didn't have the immediate reaction to speak up and say, Hey, I don't want to listen to this. Go speak to the individual and help my brother who was saying that. But my point is, is that I was drawn to it. My, my, my ears were tingling for that. Almost literally, even though it's a figurative language, figurative speech. But we are, we are drawn to this type of stuff and what it, what it does, it hurts others, obviously. It builds upon prejudices and it spreads like wildfire and it burns down relationships. That's what it does. Here, this individual who has access to God, who the Lord lets in, the person who measures up to the standard, doesn't do that. Is not marked by doing that. And he takes up no reproach against his friend. That's another characteristic. He is, he is honorable. He is honorable in everything he does. His, his criticisms that he gives are not to tear down the individual, to put him in their place so that you can rise up against above him. The, if he does give criticism, criticism, it is to build him up so he gets stronger. So he actually gets better at what he does. It's honorable. It's very similar to Romans, Romans 12.10 where it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's not seeing, saying here, don't tell a person, another person their faults. It just says, don't do it behind their back, number one. And when you do it, do it to build them up, not to let off steam. You could say it in our vernacular. You show honor to them. It keeps on going with your interrelational requirements for this individual who has access. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. The main point is here is that you can tell, you can tell a lot about a person by the people that he hangs out with. 
the guy who hangs with the wrong crowd or the guy who is, who is drawn in because he had really bad friends just proves that's what he was going after. That's proved what he was going after. There might be a lack of discernment in that because they just thought they were cool and so they decided to go with that. They weren't thinking that they were going to hang out with with the back crowd at school or so to, so to speak. But, but they were attracted to something about them that they actually ended up there. And the person who... Who, whose vile person in, for the person whose vile, the, the vileness in a person is despised. That becomes tricky for us because we're very social beings, you and I. We live in a world that is very social, so it's hard for us to actually categorize people often as evil and good because we like the neutral ground. We think that it's neutral and you'll even find Christians who know the Bible, who know what the Bible teaches and they'll embrace Sin. They'll embrace sinful lifestyles. They, they'll seek after certain truths that are from the devil, but they'll, but they'll do that under the guise of being loving and all accepting and that sort of thing. And you'll have Christians fall into that. Here, for this individual, if God says this is vile, that person agrees. Because ultimately, for the person who embraces sin is disagreeing against God. He's disagreeing with God, rather, uh, and, and, and wants to call whatever he wants a sin. And so we ought to be, as the ones who want access to God, we ought to be calling sin and sinful people what they are. Because it is only through that that they can actually have hope. Just as we were reliant upon finding out how sinful we were so that we could actually recognize that we are in need of God's grace. We are in need of God's grace. So is it for this individual. There's, there's freedom in knowing what sin is and what a, a vile person is. It's actually good for them to know that and hear that in the long run. It's, it's a lack of discernment at best and damning at worst to not do that. And here this individual, this individual, whatever God says is evil and vile, he calls it as and he despises that. He stays away from that. Like he doesn't want to touch it. It's filthy for him. There's a separation that is there. There's no entertainment of how close can I get. It's more how far can I stay away. But who honors those who fear the Lord. There's a, here there's a, for this individual who has this access, he's drawn to the people who also want this access. He's drawn to the people who, who are living out this sort of standard, who are, who, are, who are reaching out and longing to know God. He is drawn to them. He is drawn to the faithful. He is drawn to the one who actually, for, for us today, the, the, the Christian, he is drawn to the fellowship of the believers. He is drawn to a church as this one on a Sunday morning. That is what this individual is all about here. He is drawn in to the community of Christian biblical faith. Let's keep going. He is also selfless. He is also selfless. Uh, second part of verse 4, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This is where it hit me the most. Because there are so many times in my words that I make a promise and I'm not able to deliver. But this individual here, he will go out of his way when he gives his word, when he gives his word to somebody else, a fellow, a fellow Christian or a fellow sojourner or just his neighbor who might not even be a believer, whoever it may be that he encounters, if he gives his word, he means it. So many times at a drop of a hat, we change our mind. We say, well, I, I just couldn't come because something came up. But in reality, nothing came up. We just lost the desire to go. But he swears to his own hurt. It's actually painful sometimes for him to carry out the words that he, he gave, the word that he gave to actually keep his word. It hurts him. He doesn't put the hurt on somebody else. He absorbs it himself. Quite pain. He does not change. Sometimes we change at a drop of a hat. We change our minds. We change our, our motivations. We change our, our plans. 
uh, when other people are dependent upon us. Like I, I'm, maybe it's not so much represented here because I'm in, I'm involved in college ministry at our, at our, at our church and, and Facebook is so great because you can set up events and then you can, you can click yes, you're going to come. You can click maybe or you can click no. Most of the people, they always say yes because in the moment it sounds a lot of fun, but as it gets closer, they, they, they just leave it there. That's, in one sense, it's as simple as I announced to people watching that I was going to be there. And the hurt is upon, should be upon me if I'm not. I swear to my own hurt, whether it be a contract or it's just your promise. If you give your word, do you keep it? Actually, better yet, ask your friends. Ask your spouse. If you give your word, do you keep it? Are you perfect at that? That's, that has been the continuous theme over here, that we are, that we are supposed to keep this perfectly if we want access to God. I know I'm not perfect. From this one, absolutely. I try to keep my word. I try to be dependable. I try to be reliable, but I don't measure up. Verse 5, who does not put out his money at interest. He doesn't take advantage. He doesn't take advantage of the people who are less fortunate. He doesn't try to find an angle of how I can take advantage and seek after this individual. He might be lacking wisdom. He might be lacking sense. He might just be desperate, but he doesn't prey on those types of individuals. He doesn't seek after after his own gain as he interacts with people who are less fortunate, people who are less inclined to live out the, those different things. And he doesn't add interest here. It's very interesting. The terminology is that he doesn't give money that has bite, meaning it's going to come back and bite the individual that is borrowing the money in the end. There's no bite to what he gives. He, it's not talking about lending money. And it, like it's okay to lend money as long as there's, a, there's clear uh, communication and all that stuff. So I'm not... I'm not against banks here, but it, what it is against is to set things up so that the, the person who is underneath, the person who is at ill, ill advantage will fail and you get all the benefit from the, from the, from the failure of the individual. It's talking about that. The person that it's somehow in the, in the fine print, it gets them in the end and you get the, you get the gold. A person who has access to God does not do that. He's not marked by that. He doesn't take bribes against the innocent. I'm sorry, he doesn't put out money for at his interest. The same, uh, very similar to the fifth, the fifth, the, the last one there too, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He lets justice play out. He honors justice. He doesn't try to, to elevate his position by the money that he has or the money that has been granted him so that he can be, in one sense, above the law. If, if justice comes knocking at his door, he answers it and faces it. That's the person that has access to God. That is the person who, is, who lives with integrity, who has godly relationships, and he is completely selfless in everything he does. Really high standard for the person who wants this kind of access. And the reason why it is so high is because of the God that is to be worshipped when access is granted. That is why, but we, you and I, who, which one of us could actually say that we have reached this standard on our own, by our own efforts, that we have actually been able to gain this access? The, I want to make clear that the expectation for us is there. The requirement for us is there. The fact that we can't attain it is, out of the, is, is not the question here. The fact of the matter is, the requirement is there for us. And we'll be judged according to that. According to a standard such as this one. The stakes are really high, people. It is really high. But the beauty of it is, that's where the story doesn't end. Once we understand that perfection, we start understanding our need for 
something else, something not our own, not our own strength, not our own doing that answers us in our peril, in our peril, in our judgment. Because we understand that we deserve the judgment. We understand that we deserve this payment of wrath that is placed upon us. Because we will never reach to that standard. We will never be able to attain it. That is the point of this psalm. That is the point of the question, who can attain it? And that's why he doesn't answer it. Well, he answers it, but that's why nobody's saying it is I at the end of this psalm. The point of the matter is, we need, we need help. We need to be helped to be able to live up to this. And God has the help. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 quickly. Keep your finger there because we have to come back to the promise. But Romans chapter 12 is so, so good. It builds the right expectation, but it points out a beautiful aspect of how we are indeed helped. Romans 12, you're probably there already. Um, Romans 12, I appeal to you therefore, verse 1, brothers, by the mercies of God. The beauty of it is, the mercy of God answers us in our time of need. He understands where we're at. He understands our lack. He understands where our bankrupt is completely, our, our bank account is completely empty and we're bankrupt before God. That we have no hope for access. We are without faith. We are without hope. We are with no hope in this world. He understands that, but he, he takes that lack and he applies his mercy. His kind mercy, His mercies of God. Here it's plural. His mercies of God. And Paul is summarizing everything that he's said so wonderfully in the first 11 chapters. And he points it out that these are the mercies of God applied to individuals. And He saves them. And He, and he gives them this new life. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. So here he is saying, for the New, Christ, Christ, uh, the, the New Testament believer, he is saying that it is attainable, but it's only through the mercies of God. It is attainable for us to actually live our lives as living sacrifices, not dead in our sin, but living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. Acceptable for access to God. Accept, which is your spiritual Worship, your spiritual service. Connect that with Psalm 15. The requirement is there. And here, God's expectation is even clarified for the New Testament believer. And he, and he does this and He clarifies this for us. We do this through the mercies of God. And He goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be, re be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the question is still how? In the, we, we've, we've seen the standard and we've seen that we are required to live up to that standard. And we've also seen that the mercies of God are given to us. How do we attain this so that we can actually truly have access? Not until we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Because when we look at the beauty of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He did, what it meant for Him to come at Christmas and what He meant to come to do, He is the one who did walk blameless. He is the one who did what is right. He is the one who did speak truth in His heart, continuously over to, to Satan, to the demons, to, to the Pharisees, to the, to the disciples, whomever He met, He did all this. He characterized godly relationships. There was no slander, no pain. He was upfront about everybody. Remember Matthew 23 when he said woe to the pharisees he was really upfront about it he he spoke truth and he spoke truth in people's faces he honored god and he hated what god hated and he honored what god honored jesus is that standard and he didn't just keep it there he kept on going with our last few when he was selfless he 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 showed direct selflessness for us. Philippians chapter 2, He showed how He became a servant even to the point of death. He was obedient. He kept His word that He gave to the Father. He kept His word and He doesn't obviously charge us interest or anyone. He never displayed that and He let justice play out in the end because that's what Romans chapter 3 does. He shows that God is just and the justifier for our sins. Jesus is the one and through whom that we now have access to God because He's the one that first 
first and foremost lived out that standard, and if we embrace Him and have faith in Him, is when we have access to God. That's John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one that helps us, that pushes us to have access to God when we embrace Him. When we live out our lives as Christ lived His life. When we study Him and He live and live according to what He did and according to what He said. And what's beautiful is that we have four different pictures, the four Gospels. No other person is treated like that in the Scriptures. We can study Him till our heart's content. And our hearts will never be content with everything that we know. We can truly and indeed have access to God. And going back to the promise, that's when this promise is, is lived out and experienced and embraced. He who does these things shall never be moved. For the New Testament Christian, we have to bring Christ into it because we are hopeless without Him. And nothing can remove us from that promise. That's what Scripture says. And we believe it. Amen? So as we, as we live out our, the last few days of our, of our 2015 and we start up our, uh, our, another year that is going to go by so quickly, reflect back on this song and mark your life by how you live it to see if it is indeed as Christ-like as this psalms may, psalm makes it out to be. Make this a list of resolutions. But with this, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we are thankful for Christ. We are thankful for the mercies of God. We are thankful for the need that is so clearly represented in, in us as we live our life. The fact that we fall short but You help us through Your Son and by Your Spirit. Continue to quicken us. Continue to enable us to, to live out and know that we can come to You in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. And we have access at any given time. And we can come with confidence because we are in Christ. Because He grants it. He set the standard and we are hidden in Him. So, Father, I pray that as we live, You would indeed see us live honorable lives for Your glory and for Your good. In Your Son's precious name, Amen.